Well, good morning again. It's good to see so many smiling faces this morning, and if you need to get up and stretch a little bit, I, I understand that. You've got to settle in a little bit for today. It's, it's been an interesting few weeks. It's good to see so many faces. Um, you know, sometimes I don't see you for two or three weeks based on different things that are going on in lives. So it's good to see so many people in person on a Sunday morning. You know, we made it through the cold stretch of February, and we're into some warmer temperatures. I was telling Richard earlier I'm in defiance. I wasn't going to wear a light jacket today because I knew it was going to be sunny and warm. But, you know, with that transition from cold to warmer temperatures, we also understand that, that we move from snow to mud. It's one of those things that seems like it's a certainty in life. I don't know about you, but I like certainty. I like schedules. I like routines because it keeps me on track. It keeps me focused through the week. Um, you know, sometimes for me, when things happen that get me off track, when wrenches are thrown in, it just kind of screws up my whole mentality towards life. I get in these funks, and I find I'm no longer praising God as much as I should in my walk. I'm no longer doing the things that I need to be doing. I need that type of routine at times. But over the past, past few weeks, there's been some hard things in life. I've had to walk different roads with people that have been difficult, that have been hard, that have been trying. Through that time, I've had some wins. You know, I've been able to humble myself if I have a blow up with the kids and pray with them and ask for forgiveness. I've been able to sit under the counsel of some godly men uh, in my life, in ministry and in life issues, to get me back on track in some of those things, to where I can make some good strides in my devotional life, in my prayer time, where I've been able to take some of those burdens that I've placed on myself unduly and rest in God's peace and in his joy where I've felt the Spirit just breathe that life back into me, and it's been good. You know, I think that many times our weeks can go the way that our minds anticipate. You know, if we're looking for the things of God, we're able to see God in the small things, and we're able to appreciate those times. Many times if we're just very busy in our life, it just goes by like a blur. And other times if we're negative... We're going to get drowned out by those thoughts and feelings as well. So this morning, I want us to see how amazingly fickle our minds can be. And my prayer is that we stay hungry and open to the Word of God, to His truth, so that we can find our days filled with praise for Him. This morning, we're going to look at such a person that had some curiosity when it came to Jesus. We're going to see some predictable attitudes of the Israelites that have been a common place for us as we've walked through Luke. And we're going to see a wonder behind conversion, a purpose of Jesus stating for his coming. So if you have your Bibles, join me in Luke 19 this morning. And we're going to read the first 10 verses.
Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And, I have cheat and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your word this morning. As we study your word, as we try to dive deeper in some areas, I just ask that you would convict us in our hearts and minds of where we are going astray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I love this passage. Sometimes you come across passages like this in your daily readings or in sermons that you just resonate with because they've had a big impact in your life. And I've made connections to this passage in many ways. Like, I believe that I have this bond with Zacchaeus because when I was in high school, I was pretty short. Um, I like to climb trees, and I like numbers. You know, I, I'm pretty decent in math when it comes that way. I mean, I'm not Jared level, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. But, you know, when, we th when I think about that kind of stuff, you know, I find that connection with Zacchaeus, and, and I, I've always liked his story, his conversion. I love verse 10. In my ministries that I've been a part of, I've tried to keep verse 10 to the forefront of my mind in terms of a purpose statement from Jesus. I resonate with that so much because I understand the pits that Jesus picked me up out of. And then even as, you know, as he puts up with me, as just like in Forky from Toy Story 4, I feel like trash and I want to jump back in the trash. You know, it gives you that appreciation of sanctification and that process of being made into his image. I love how this, this passage describes conversion. It's always stood out in my mind. Now this passage, it has a lot of connections to what we've read over in the last few months. We can see a lot of similarities, similar themes that run through this one passage. We can see similarities to the rich young ruler and measuring him up to Zacchaeus and how they handle wealth. We can see this universal appeal to the gospel message that Jesus is here for everyone, not just the religious elites like the Pharisee and the tax collector. We can see this social outcast 
um, motif that is continuing through the Gospel of Luke and the hierarchy of weighing different sins and who qualifies and who doesn't. But we also see today this theme of urgency, this theme of joy, and above all, we see salvation. So as we walk through this passage, try to look back at some of the passages that we've gone over and make those same types of connections. Because you're going to see this continuity that goes through Scripture, through Jesus' life, that gives us confidence that he is the truth. Now, when we look at this opening, we see a very similar type of opening where we're introduced to this man, this person of interest. Immediately through the context that, we've talking, that we have been talking about, we can see that he is going to be an outcast because he is a tax collector. But what we also see is that adjective right before it, a chief tax collector. Now, in my mind, I go to Scripture and I think of Paul as he says, I am the chief of sinners. You know, if, if they hated tax collectors, think about how much more they might hate chief tax collectors. You know, because the tax collectors would represent Rome, who was oppressing them at this time. So they really hated their own brothers that would work in that capacity for their oppressors. So they would outcast him. You know, nothing is new under the sun, so we can see an early form of cancel culture happening even in the Bible. But we see this man, Zacchaeus. He is seeking to see Jesus. He desires to see Jesus. So with what's written at face value, we can see he probably doesn't know who Jesus is or maybe even what he looks like. Jesus is just passing through a town as he normally does. And he creates this fervor, this curiosity about who this man is. Because people have heard stories. People have uh, been following him. There's a mob mentality that is around him. He creates this buzz wherever he goes. And Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Maybe he wants to see a sign. Maybe he wants to hear some of his teaching. Maybe he's interested in who this man is that would also have a tax collector as a disciple. A tax collector that has found a belonging, that has found a home with this man, this connection to society. Jesus was a person that reached out to those outcasts. This type of curiosity is viewed as a window of being open to hear the truth, to hear the gospel message. It's one that we need to be able to recognize in the lives of those around us. Recognizing that openness and being ready to share the truth, being ready to share the gospel message, being watchmen at the ready. But then we see with Jesus here, within this passage, as he's walking through, we see a little bit of humor, don't we? Zacchaeus, being short, is not able to see over the crowds. Now this phrase about being small in stature, yes, it's, it's probably about his height. He was probably a wee little man. But I think that it can tell us a little bit more as well. Because we also have to understand, Zacchaeus is wealthy. He has power. He's able to do things that most people wouldn't be able to do. 
And I think that the fact that he cannot get through the crowd also shows how little, pun intended, the people think of him. That he is small in stature in the eyes of the community, making him an outcast. Now, trying to put yourself in this type of situation, in this scene, this wouldn't be just like a parade where people are politely lining the, the walkway for Jesus to just to go through in a nice, orderly fashion. We think about the scenes that we've already seen with Jesus, especially the scene with the hemorrhaging woman, where the people are crowding around him, and then Jesus says, somebody touched me. And what's Peter's response? Are you kidding, Lord? Who hasn't touched you right now? We can barely get through. You know, it's like a standing room only concert and the bathroom's on the other end and you have to walk through. This is the type of scene that is created around Jesus. People would put up barriers trying to get closer to him, not allowing anyone else to push through. And here's Zacchaeus, unable to get through, who just wants to see Jesus. So he climbs a tree. So many times, those who are marginalized, those who are outcasts of society, they want to stay in the shadows. Out of sight, out of mind. Climbing a tree, I don't have to get too personal. I don't have to get too close. I can just maybe observe a little bit. Just because I just, I just want to see. Perhaps. Maybe he wants to stay anonymous. Maybe he just wants to fill, fulfill this curiosity. But as I was reading through this passage, I also came across the idea of many times when I'm reading a passage, I'll put myself in the character's shoes. And most of the time, it's relegated to the main character of the story. But have you ever thought about what would it be like to be a person in that crowd? where you might be creating a barrier from somebody else that wants to see Jesus. For whatever reason. And it's something that I've kind of had to chew on this week. Something that, you're, that you work through. How do we treat our own? And then as we see Jesus coming next, we see this, the true initiation here. You know, even if Zacchaeus thinks that he's hiding in a tree, that he is out of sight, out of mind, that he's out of view, Jesus sees him. Not just physically, Jesus sees him. Right? Here is a man who is lost, a man of Israel who is outside of the flock, who is an outcast, and Jesus makes a point to stop and see his sheep. And he says, hurry. Come down for I must stay at your house today. You see this sense of urgency. This necessity as it says, must. You know, even if Zacchaeus' desire would be commendable to want to see Jesus, we see how Jesus' desire to see Zacchaeus surpasses anything that he could imagine. What a beautiful picture of salvation. 
And sometimes for us seasoned believers, I think that's a, a nice way to say that, we can forget the beauty and wonder of salvation. We can get drowned out by the feelings of this world, by what's going on around us, by maybe shame, guilt, how, how we know better, but we still fall in this area. We screw up as Christians and we face this guilt. And sometimes as Christians, we just, we just want to go hide up in a tree like Zacchaeus, out of sight, out of mind. As believers, do you ever fall into the lie that says, how can Jesus still love me? I screwed up too bad this time. Or maybe I better, maybe I better keep this a secret because if they really knew, so we try to hide our sin from others, from Jesus. We try to hide our face. We try to stay in the shadows. We isolate ourselves, which is just what the enemy wants. Sin begins to snowball in your life. If slash when that happens in your life, the answer is to confess and repent. We need a regular practice of confession and repentance in the church. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. It's what we need as a whole. Because we need this sense of wonder and awe when it comes to salvation back into our minds to understand who Jesus is as the good shepherd with urgency, with necessity to where we can understand in a deeper way the grace that we have received. You know, as you go through confession, as you go through repentance, you take in the breath of the Spirit and joy and peace and the love of God is made known to your mind again and again daily. So we need to understand how we how Jesus operates in those things. You know, to where we can understand his grace, knowing again that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Because Jesus sees us at all times when we're hiding in the tree. And he invites, he invites us to come down. He, he stands at our door and knocks, as Revelation says. And you know, sometimes when we're hiding, when we're up in the tree, we might want to come down, but we're, we're scared, we're afraid. We need that assurance. We need to know in, in our heart of hearts that Jesus invites us, that we're gonna be okay. And the truth does that. Jesus gives us that always. He doesn't promise that nothing bad will ever happen because, I mean, if just take it as the physical example. When you climb a tree, sometimes you can get scraped. Sometimes you can get injured. Sometimes you can fall out. Sin has consequences. And we need to be humble enough to own up to them in our lives. Because it leads to a better health for us in the long run. Jesus invites us where you are today to come to him. So turn to him this morning. Learn from the rich young ruler's lesson who walked away at Jesus' invitation Zacchaeus climbs down from the tree with joy and immediately receives Jesus. Confess and repent. 
as Jesus or Zacchaeus comes down and receives Jesus with joy, we need to look and understand this term received. In the present, he would be receiving Jesus with hospitality, with food into his home. He would be the host. And we're not given much of the details that happens there. The disciples could be invited as well. That could be customary. But this is an intimate, personal encounter with Jesus that Zacchaeus is having. We're not told what goes on. So he would receive him as a host, but he would also be receiving Jesus spiritually through this encounter, understanding who Jesus is. We see that there's going to be a time lapse that happens, so we don't know how long Jesus stays in the home. But what we do see are these complainers, these grumblers that are outside, parroting the same excuses and complaints that they've done all through the Gospel of Luke. Why is Jesus hanging out with these sinners? Why is he in the house of this tax collector? See these same themes presenting themselves within this interaction. We see the the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee is represented by these complainers and the tax collector is represented by a tax collector. We see how Zacchaeus resembles the rich young ruler in that you know, the rich young ruler was told to give away your possessions to the poor and come and follow me. Zacchaeus does the opposite of what the rich young ruler does. He realizes, as the blind man did, that he needed to glorify God, that he needed to follow Jesus. I think that Zacchaeus proves that with God, nothing is impossible. Again, passages that we've gone over in the last few months You know, the people that are outside don't like what's happening with Zacchaeus. They don't like what Jesus is doing. But Jesus is just doing what he had proclaimed that he was going to do. You go back to the beginning of Luke, and you look at the purpose of Jesus' mission, where he quotes from Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has been doing this type of ministry for three years. He's proclaiming it here in this passage that he has come to seek and save the lost. It's a great verse. Zacchaeus definitely fits that bill, as do all of the complainers who are outside, because all of us are captive to sin. We'll spend some time on that verse here in a second, but Really quick, I want to look at what Zacchaeus' response means. When we look at verse 8, notice how he says, Lord. This is a title of honor, of respect. And remember, from the very beginning of this, this passage, he is just wanting to know who Jesus is. Now he is calling him Lord. How fast and sudden conversion can happen in a person's life when understanding, when truth is brought to our minds. As we read this passage in this section here, we want to clearly understand what Zacchaeus is doing. We don't want to think that Zacchaeus is trying to earn his way into salvation, earn his way into heaven, but rather this is a form of repentance. He had wronged people, and he is making things right. Sin in our life bears consequences. The wages of sin is death. Mercifully, Jesus took that for us on the cross. 
but we still have repercussions in the here and now. Sometimes those consequences can be severe. Sometimes you could just admit that you're wrong, ask for forgiveness, and you can continue on. But sin will always have consequences because it is destructive. Sin will hurt yourself and others. It's ugly. It breaks God's law. It hurts you by taking you out of that communion with God, out of that presence with God, out of that peace with God until you confess and repent. Sin hurts other people in various ways. And we cannot have too low of a view of sin in our life. And as believers, we balance that with the victory that is won in Jesus. Understanding that he is victorious over sin and death and that our eternal hope is in that victory. And that victory then carries into our life to make us hopeful and joyful people. Trusting in the power of God over death and sin. And again, what's important with what Zacchaeus is doing here is how we can see those similarities between the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler who is told what he must do. And Zacchaeus who, by assumption maybe, offers to give away half of his possessions. He says he would also restore what he has defrauded or cheated fourfold. Now, in the Mosaic law, there's a couple of references for this type of restitution. There's one in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 16, and then one in Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read the one in Numbers for you today. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. So according to the law, he was required only for a fifth, or 20%, for those math nerds out there. But in the Roman law, if you cheated someone, there was believed to be a stipulation that you would pay back fourfold. So that's where we see where Zacchaeus is getting this. So after he is paid back, he is going to give away half of his possessions, again, seemingly on his own accord, understanding the repentance voluntarily to show his understanding of the damage and destruction that sin has had throughout his life, sins that he has committed. And Jesus says that today salvation has come to this house. You know, because of what's going on, he is now calling him a son of Abraham. And this is a comment more towards the spiritual house of Israel, the, the true believers. Those that were outside, the complainers, the grumblers, those would be more of the natural Israel distinction. And, and this mention of house. I think that it's a very important distinction that's not lost even on our generation today. See, in a lot of scriptures, it is worded this way, that salvation has come to this house, or someone has come to the Lord and his house was saved. Now, it's not 100% accurate, 
but many times the family will follow in the footsteps of the father. It's a prominent theme that runs through the time of Jesus. It's something that can be seen in our communities and societies even today. You you have the other side of it where the sins of the father follow to the next generation. In an instant, Zacchaeus' life is changed. He gave up his wicked ways, cold turkey. He's making restitution for those that he has done wrong, and salvation is pronounced by Jesus. This is a blessing that has come upon his house. This is the effect that godly men have on their family. If a husband takes his role, the spiritual head of the home, seriously, blessings can happen. Again, not always 100% because maybe sometimes you'll come to the Lord later in life and your kids are teenagers and they'll view your conversion as hypocrisy because they've seen how you've lived your life and now we're not sure whether or not this is going to take. But it's never too late to start being the spiritual head of your home. Something that as men we need to take seriously. Just because you come to church doesn't mean that you live out your faith the rest of the week. And know that you have eyes that are watching you all the time. I as the pastor cannot replace the important role that you have as the head of your home. I can come alongside of you as the best as I am able to assist you as you set up your family. But you know, we're in a weird place in our culture and society where roles are blurred, where men do not lead spiritually. And there's many reasons for this. Sometimes men abuse the authority that they've been given. Sometimes they neglect it. Sometimes they feel like a failure and things just snowball in their life. Recently, men have been pushed down in society and to try to take a role of authority is viewed as being sexist. For whatever reasons, men have not taken up godly roles in their families and the church. We find it simpler just to go to work for 12 hours, provide for our family, because we can somewhat control that. It's easier to avoid having conversations about God because we don't want to stir the pot. And we're busy. We have a lot going on in life. Life is difficult. But our homes are suffering. Men, many times, as men, we think that our spouse does not understand. I'm a big proponent of communication. Communication of expectations, communications of what's really going on. And our homes need that. We need perspective of what each other is going through. We need a day in each other's shoes to fully understand one another. Because saying the quiet part out loud, both husbands and wives are struggling. Both feel like their needs are not being met. 
litmus test. Do you ever feel like you're the only one doing something around the house? Or providing for the house? <laughs> I did. It was a question. Thank you for that engagement. But what happens when both parties feel that same way? Clashes happen. Arguments happen. Isolation happens. And it begins to snowball. Communication of our expectations help. But we have to realize that the enemy wants to divide us. The enemy wants to isolate us. He wants us to stay up in those trees, to not come to Jesus, to not come together as a husband and wife with a three-corded strand. Men, for the sake of our families, communities, and churches, we need you to step up spiritually, to take the leadership roles that you are called to as the head of the home. Or we're going to continue down this trend as a society. We're going to see our children walk away from the Lord. Because as men, we didn't take it seriously. We need to confess and repent. Now on to this last verse. The wonderful hope of this passage. Flip over to Ezekiel 34 with me. I'm going to read, a, all of 34 is really good, um, but I'm just going to read a portion of it here, beginning in verse 11. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing, in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Now that sleek and strong, that would be referencing more to those that are relying on their own power, for their own security to receive salvation. But you know, God says that those people, that he, was, he will deal with injustice with people, right? He, he is a just God. And we have to understand that if you've broken the one law, it's like you've broken the whole law. And one sin makes us guilty of death, lost to eternal damnation. But notice the care of the shepherd the care of the shepherd who will go after his lost sheep personally. And when you think of the curiosity of the question, 
of who is Jesus. Who is he if not the good shepherd who leaves the heavenly places to go after the lost sheep, who came down from heaven to earth to save his people? He is the Messiah, the Savior, the King. Romans tells us that we must simply believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved. Confessing that we are sinners in need of a Savior. As we talked about during the communion message, understanding the ugliness of sin and how it separates us from the Father. And believing that Jesus paid the price on behalf of his sheep. I think what this conversion story tells us too is that it's never too late, that you're never too far gone, that you're never too wicked or too much of an outcast. Who is perfect in the biblical record? Jesus alone. Abraham was a liar. Jacob was a cheater. David an adulterer. Rahab a prostitute. Matthew and Zacchaeus, tax collectors. Insert your story. Insert your sin of, of pleasure. The list goes on and on. And we see this, this beauty of the salvation story of the gospel message where God comes to those who are broken. God comes to the lost with an invitation. Jesus, who is the word, who is the truth, sets men's, men free. Sets the captives free, captive from their sin. He comes with an invitation. Do not walk away from him today. Do not stay up in that tree. Because today is the day of the Lord. Today salvation can come to your house. The world had rejected Zacchaeus. But Jesus' arms were open. Wherever you are today, you may be feeling like you are rejected. But Jesus' arms are open. Cannot stress this point enough. Today is the day of the Lord. Today is the accepted hour, the moment to come to Jesus. Do we have that same sense of urgency and joy to see who Jesus is? The one who came to seek and save the lost. This morning I'm praising God for his salvation because we were all once lost, but now we are found. And as sheep who are found, we are to glorify and praise the name of God because his name is above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today humbling ourselves, asking for forgiveness, confessing sin in our life. Lord, we've held idols above you. We've gone our own way. We have sought pleasures of this world. We've broken your law and your commandments, and we are guilty. 
praise be to God, you did not leave us in that state, that you sent your son to die for us in our place, to pay a price that we could not pay, but a price that we owed. Lord, you are gracious, you are merciful, you are holy. We glorify and magnify your name today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you please stand for